Do you remember a time when sleeping on the floor with your friends wouldn't have been considered weird? The management of this website invites you to a new dimension in podcasting. An experience so fun, it can only be compared to a childhood sleepover. It's not just about horror. Tom Atkins proves that any man is leading man material. <laughs> it's not just about action. If you're going to rank Van Damme movies, yeah, it's up there. I'd put it top five. It's not just about comedy. There's no other person in the world that loves Weekend at Bernie's more than you. It's not just about thrillers. It occurred to me that Cruising is like the most awkward sleepover movie ever. It's not just about science fiction. You put your chin to your chest <laughs> and you're like, you're so nervous. <laughs> We're all gonna die. It's about nostalgia. Can you survive the Saturday night movie sleepover? It's not a movie. It's a podcast about movies. You can follow Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers at SaturdayNightMovieSleepovers.com on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, and just about everywhere you can listen to podcasts. Welcome again to F This Movie, the official podcast of FThisMovie.com. Movie love for movie lovers. My name is Patrick Bromley. Happy Junesploitation. We are kicking off Junesploitation in high fashion, celebrating Monster Day, the day this podcast comes out. I am joined by the king of monsters, JB. You don't understand. The Titans used to rule. That was the natural order thing of things. So maybe now we're going back to the natural order of things. How happy were they when they came up with Titans, do you think? They were not happy, and this is not original to me. It's a review of the film that I read where they said everyone concerned with Godzilla was slapping themselves and getting angry because the Pacific Rim people copyrighted the word kaiju. Why can't they just say monsters? I don't know. Uh, I have a few quibbles about the film, and Titans is one of them because of the hundred words you could come up with to describe these glorious beasts. Titans would be way down <laughs> on my list of what we should call them. And monsters is a good idea. Destroy all monsters. It's not called Godzilla, King of the Titans. Monster Zero? It's yeah. right there for yeah. you, buddy. Yeah. Anyway, we are going to be talking about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Uh, we will talk spoiler-free for a few minutes once we get into our review, and then we will move into spoilers. About three and a half minutes. Yeah, not spoilers. very long. It's right. There's no point. Um, but uh, as we I don't said... See, I don't see anyone listening to this and the first spoiler. God damn it! <laughs> um, it is Junesploitation. If you're not familiar with Junesploitation, it is our month-long celebration of exploitation of genre movies. Uh, go to fthismovie.com and click on the Junesploitation tab. Every day we do a different category. Everybody watches movies from that category and talks about it on the site, on Twitter. It's a great deal of fun. We got started with 80s Action Day, which we'll talk about probably in a few minutes. The reviews for 80s Action Day I uh, uh, read last night before I fell to slumber, and uh, they were really terrific. Yeah. Not just what people wrote, but the choices that people are making. Yeah, 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 really fun. Um, so yeah, like I said, when the, the day this podcast comes out, it is Monster Day, which is not a coincidence because we knew that this podcast would be posting on this day and what better movie to talk about for Monster Day. Um, there he is. There's the man. There's the Titan. Gojira. <laughs> we podcasted on Gareth Evans. Yes. Edwards. Gareth Edwards. And my memory is going. Godzilla a few years correct ago. Correct me if I'm wrong. At that time, it was our most listened to podcast. It might have been, yeah. Because people were going bug nutty over that film, and the two of us... And Adam. Adam was on that podcast, too. Were not bug nutty. <laughs> no. And, of course, this led to Adam and I attending G-Fest to find out what real hardcore fans thought of it. And as it turns out, I've told this story before... Um, they loved it. There was a panel discussion about it, and I'll summarize it for you because the panel discussion was three hours. They loved it because Godzilla was in it. Right. 
That's kind of what I figured. Uh, before we talk about Godzilla, King of Monsters, J-Bones, have you seen anything good lately? I've seen so many movies lately, I can't keep track of them. And the other night, I was talking to my wife, and I was like, there's one I'm missing. What did we... Because I'm, I don't take as good of records any. I don't write it down quite as fast. And there's fewer tickets now that you're on the A-list, and it's right. all on your phone. Right. Say what you want about paper tickets. Um, but the majority of what I've seen lately... You have also seen Mr. Summer Break, mm-hmm. and um, you've already talked about So just very briefly, um, I saw Booksmart, which is very good, and so far, it's the movie that's made me laugh the most okay. out loud. And we saw it with a very small crowd, and there was multiple examples of stuff where my wife was the only one audibly laughing very loud, and I'm sorry, I paid my money. If you had seen Booksmart with us, there were points where you would just hear, (laughs) (laughs) Um, and sometimes seven seconds late, because a couple of the jokes took me a second to weasel out, but Booksmart is really good. Um, People were going crazy opening weekend because it wasn't doing Bafo box office, but then the director herself said, we were happy to get a theatrical release. This is a low-budget film with no stars, and we're happy for what we have. And there was this weird, immediate anti-backlash. It was very strange. But so far, it's the funniest film I've seen this year. And certainly, if you look at what's out right now, you you got to go see Booksmart. Yeah. It's, it's imperative. Um, on the same token, Long Shot, which you also have discussed yes. yeah. on the podcast... Really smart, really clever. It's actually about something other than people acting like morons <laughs> in that, um, you know, I don't think Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen would have would have signed up for something dumb. And um, it's not a perfect film by any means. Um, there's this weird thing about her best friend. Do you remember this? And that's never quite resolved. Okay. Why is she so awful? We get hints. But because it's a Hollywood film, I expect it to be spelled out for me in right. laborious detail. Again, not at all the film I thought it was going to be. Okay. Longshot actually gave me hope for romantic comedy, <laughs> which I believe we held a funeral for a few years ago. Yeah, because... we get one decent one every, like, four years. And then I read some intriguing little things on the Twitter machine, and I know nothing going in, and one night we watched The Perfection. Yes. And the perfection is so good. Um, It's what a modern horror film should be. I think we've discussed this in terms of other horror films that do this. Even if you ignore all the subtext, and in perfection, it's not even really subtext. It's pretty explicit. Yeah. It works as one of the most clever horror films you've seen. Just the things they do with time, where... We are being shown a narrative, and then, not to spoil anything, but there's points at which we go back and see. I don't want to spoil it. Um, if you got Netflix, it's free. It's certainly worth two hours of your time. It's so incredibly good. And unlike most horror films, and this is on television, it's very beautiful to look at. Yeah. Um, I don't remember the cinematographer, but it is really sharp looking in a bunch of different ways because there's a bunch of different locations and i believe you liked all three of those i did yeah and um they kind of give you hope also before i forget if you are a member of amc's a list they're going to have a special advanced screening this podcast is dropping monday so this is going to be in two days it's on wednesday june 5th at boatloads of amc theaters If you're on the A-list, you can see The Dead Don't Die, Jim Jarmusch's new film that I'm getting very excited about (laughs) based on the poster. Um, It's not free, but of course, if you have A-list, it is sort of free. But you get to see it nine days ahead of its opening, so I would suggest that you check that out. Can you reserve your ticket for that? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. I did, last night. And um, I was very happy about that. And then... Also, last call, if you live in the Chicago area, this is dropping on Monday. You have three more days of the Buster Keaton Festival. And certainly any 
attempt by any theater anywhere in the world to show films that are almost 90 years old. We have to support that. Um, the early word is good. Um, I've actually seen some of the transfers they're using, and so you got to go check that out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like overall the summer so far has been pretty good. Yeah, although part of that, and I don't mean to again quibble, I've been a little bit more selective than I usually am. So, for instance, you had your date night the other night, which is very delightful. You always celebrate your right. first date right, right. by returning to the scene of the crime. And it's kind of amazing that it's still there, Yeah, given how many theaters have closed. And you had a choice of two films. Yes. And I really applaud your choice because the other film, which I don't want to say anything bad about because I haven't seen it, I really have no interest in seeing yeah. it. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle for me to get out to see that one. I saw the trailer, and God knows, it could be the greatest film on Earth. But given the trailer, it's like, okay, I know what... We're talking about Ma, everyone. Uh, Instead, we saw Rocket Man. Or maybe it's just because I have mommy issues. Perhaps. And by that, I mean... You have Ma issues. I'm adopted, and Octavia Spencer is my biological mother. Rocket Man is a funny thing, because I sat there the entire movie not comparing it to any... Anything besides Bohemian Rhapsody. It didn't have to measure up to any other movie or any standard of quality. Just, is this better than Bohemian Rhapsody? Is there a, oh, I don't know, 12-minute scene (laughs) where they slavishly copy shot for shot a famous Uh, YouTube video and and call it art? It's fascinating because Rocket Man is directed by Dexter Fletcher, who was the director who was hired to finish Bohemian Rhapsody. I did not know that. After Brian Singer got canned. So he directed part of Bohemian Rhapsody uncredited and then does Rocket Man as if to say, hey, I'm the one who was good. Uh, I made the better movie than so Brian Singer. It's like the cinematic equivalent of a backhanded compliment. Bohemian Rhapsody could have been this right. if I had been called earlier. Now... I heard a rumor, I don't even know if it's a rumor, because there's stuff in the trailer that hint at it. It's a legitimate musical. It is, yeah. And would you agree the promotion is trying to hide that? Yeah, they're trying to make it look much more of a a, a conventional biopic, which it still is. It hits so many standard beats. There's some sort of carnival where they're clearly doing a production number to I'm Still Standing. Not exactly. There's a carnival scene and there's an I'm Still Standing, but those two numbers are different. Okay, maybe I'm I'm conflating them because I've only seen the trailer, which is, you know, six seconds, six seconds, right. six seconds. But just from the trailer, it looks like at some point, I think there's full-blown musical That's what gave this. me hope was watching the trailer and seeing certain images that clearly don't take place in reality. And I thought, oh, well, that could be interesting if actually we're going to go a little bit more abstract. And they do. And sometimes it feels like there are musical numbers that are shoehorned in just because, well, people like Tiny Dancer, and so we want him to sing Tiny Dancer, even though it doesn't really advance the narrative. It's not really saying anything thematically, but hey, here's Tiny Dancer, and don't you like that song? Um, But a lot of the other numbers are really good. Um, There's a really, really great moment where he does Crocodile Rock for the first time. Taron Egerton does all of his own singing, which is very good. And again, it makes you laugh that they gave the Best Actor Oscar to Rami Malek last year because I wish this movie would do Bohemian Rhapsody business. Not even that it's that great. Again, it still has issues. Uh, You know, he wasn't loved by his parents. He gets addicted to drugs and alcohol. It's every musician biopic. One Uh, thing I really like, because again, I'm older. There was a time when he was the biggest rock star on the planet. Yeah, the I mean, movie just talks about that. He was the closest thing to the Beatles that the 70s right. had in right. terms of popularity and sales. And there's one shot in the trailer I love so much because I think I can identify it in, in lots and lots of ways. Clearly, the Elton John character is not having a good time. Maybe he just got some bad news. You've seen the film. Maybe he's got a horrible hangover. It's when he's about to go out in the baseball yeah, uniform, yeah, yeah. Yeah. and he he looks like death warmed over. And we hear the crowd, and they hand him the baseball bat, and... He just puts he it just, on. Right. He just puts it on. So, teachers can identify with that, and also, to a certain extent, anyone who does a podcast, because it's like, oh, you don't feel like recording a podcast? 
Sorry. Right. <laughs> Press time to record. record time to go. So right now, I'm in a sequined uh, uh, Mets uniform. It's true. And I'm holding a baseball bat. It's true. To encourage Patrick to his highest level of critical <laughs> faculty. If you like Elton John, um, I think it's worth seeing. If you like musicals, it's worth seeing. I, you know, I was happy with it enough. Uh, not perfect, but plus it has Bryce Dallas Howard in it, and that's always going to be worth seeing, even if she's playing a one-note character. I forgot that she plays his mom. Uh, there's also a scene in the trailer with the piano which, again, reminded me of the Pat Oswalt routine where there's a moment in every biopic. Oh, His yes, example is yes. Paul McCartney is looking through the music shop window and saying, I'd like a guitar. And you sit there and you're like, like oh, he wants a guitar because he's going to be Paul McCartney. And that Pat says, everyone hopes that their ironic <laughs> moment is that. And right. the and the, the Elton John film has that moment. The only other newish movie that I saw, because last night we did a triple feature of 80s action. Very fun. Ninja Busters is the bar to clear so far for Junesploitation. And again, someone posted on the Twitter machine today that they are in love with Jake Speed. But yeah, I was surprised by that. Jake Speed is... It has to be if you grew up with it. Okay, and, and this goes back to the very beginning of F This Movie where, don't throw things... I've never been able to understand the affection for Friday the 13th, the sure. first one. I written, I've written a lengthy column. I'm the only one who thinks that. But one of the theories I put out is, if you saw it when you were a kid, you get a pass. Because I have no desire to argue with your 12-year-old self. Uh, the only other new-ish movie that I saw was I finally saw Isn't It Romantic, the Rebel Wilson meta-romantic comedy. Did you see that in a theater? No. We watched it from Redbox. And? It's okay. It's, it has some, I mean, you know, as we're lamenting the state of the romantic comedy, I think it does have a number of things to sort of say about romantic comedies. It, Good. It, it almost pulls off the thing where it's making fun of the thing and being the thing. Which is the, which yeah. is the highest, because that's very, very difficult. Um, as I get older, I thank my son for introducing me to the phrase, up its own ass. Yeah. Because God knows I was not familiar with this phrase, and that's what I was afraid that movie was going to do in spades. That it was just really delighted with itself, obviously over-delighted with itself for what it was doing. Yeah, it's not. Um, and it's not as good at making fun of romantic comedies as something like They Came Together which exists only to make fun of romantic comedies in a pretty crazy way. And is very funny. Yeah. Um, and this does it about halfway. And did you ever consider that in They Came Together, Manhattan's almost a character <laughs> in that film? Uh, not the worst, I guess, is is my review of Isn't It Romantic? I'm, not I'm the worst. Because lately, my wife and I have been on this tear where she has said, those awful ridiculous TV shows that no one on earth can even enjoy ironically. We're done watching those, Buster. Reruns of Password from the 70s? I'm kicking that to the curb. So we're actually um, cashing in on all these streaming services that we're paying for, yeah. and we're trying to watch more movies okay. at night. Well, that's good. Um, you're fine if you don't watch Isn't It Romantic. Rebel Wilson... I have found works best in small doses um, because she kind of has a shtick and she does that shtick. But actually, I thought she was very appealing in the movie. It was a good vehicle for her. Let me let me give you an example because I wanted to bring this up because later I want to bring it up again. Okay. Like a good meal. In Booksmart, uh, Billy Lord plays this character that's one of the funniest things I've seen <laughs> this year. Both, both in the conception and in the performance. She reminds me of Harpo Marx. That's how good it is. And the filmmakers are wise enough to know you can't have too much of that. It's a condiment. It has to occasionally be in the film as punctuation. But Billy Lord plays Gigi, who's that crazy, I mean, really crazy kid that everyone knew. And every time we see her, we learn something different. I don't want to spoil it, but at the end of the film at graduation, we find out something that had my wife and I like, oh, my God, of course. Um, but my quibble with Booksmart is it gets to the point where when she pops up, 
people start screaming and saying, don't do that. And the right. character right, literally right, says right, that. Right, right, right. And I hate it when films do that. You've talked about this, that the film is going to do the joke and then sort of explain the joke. Yes. And I don't think it was necessary. She pops up. It's always unexpected. And that's the joke. Ah, don't do that. No, right. you don't. Right. You don't have to do that at all. Right. Um, I wondered if Billy Lord, who I don't know anything about, although she had a small part in the last Star Wars film, the performance seems informed in some ways. Just in my, in my twisted brain. It seems informed by her mom. Maybe. That I think Carrie Fisher could have been a very successful light comedy actress, but because of her personal demons and because she was typecast as Princess Leia, she never really got a chance to do it. I think we saw a glimmer of that in uh, When Harry Met Sally. She's really good. She is. Harry yeah, Met she's Sally. great in that movie. And also in The Burbs, where she's given less than nothing to do. Right. Um, but you all need to see Booksmart. Yeah. Godzilla, what do you think about Booksmart? I anticipated that. Good segue, Godzilla. Let's talk about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Go back to the middle of the Earth, because apparently there's a... The secret tunnels? Yes. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. Anyway, hold on. I'm I'm gathering my notes together. Okay. Someone on the Twitter machine, not that I'm addicted to the Twitter machine. I'm very close to dropping the Twitter machine, which I've been saying for a year. Someone posted... This is the best English-language Godzilla film ever made. So I went back through my memory. The bar is pretty low, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. But I would agree. I would, too, and I don't think I liked the movie as much as you did. But... I'm sure you didn't like it as much <laughs> as I did. But we're basically talking about two other movies, right? Yeah, for the most part. We're um, not Because we're not even counting Godzilla 1985, I assume. I would give you that one, and I would even give you the Raymond Burr version of um, the original. Okay. You know, the Americanized right, 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 right. nonsense version right. with Steve Martin right. on the scene. Um, I, I'll admit that the bar is pretty low, but it seems to me if you if you love Godzilla or you like Godzilla, you need to see this. So now we're only addressing the people who are on the fence because I don't know if I want to go see a giant monster movie. I liked it enough. I didn't quite love it. I, I have to admit, I wanted to like it more than I did because of the person responsible for making it, because I was such a big fan of Trick or Treat. And Krampus. I like Krampus And a I'm lot. a big fan of Krampus, and so I'm a big fan of Michael Doherty and had a lot of hopes for him as the writer-director, or co-writer-director, I guess, of Godzilla, King of the Monsters. But there's moments in the film where you can actually picture the studio notes between what Doherty is trying to do and, again, what the studios think you have to do in order to have a successful film. Well... And and I have quibbles. I have a, a list of quibbles, but it's an honest attempt to do it right. Yeah. I give them a lot of credit for including so many monsters, although as, yeah. a, as a purist, I'm sitting there during the whole film waiting for Gamera to show up. Yeah. And was the thinking... Well, there's no way you can make a giant flying turtle. Um, We're cool with the moth, but a turtle. They've they've really reimagined the moth, though. Yeah, I mean it's very different than. No, it it's really cool in the movie. And one of the things I liked about the movie is it's full of shout-outs, and I don't think they're asinine fanboy shout-outs. There's multiple shout-outs to the whole Godzilla phenomenon. So. Whereas I'm waiting for the two miniature twins to show up to revive Mothra. That's not going to happen in this film because it's too grounded in reality. But we do have a character sort of explaining that that was a thing. Which, okay, I'll take that. Um, there's character names. There are plot points. And there are even moments in the score where if you're paying attention, there are shout-outs to other film. And, and I have to say, because it's not obnoxious because it doesn't ever hit the heights of fanboyishness, I give Doherty a lot of credit 
for sort of tipping his hat to the tradition. Well, I think the first time around, I keep wanting to mess it. I keep wanting to say Gareth Evans, but he's the raid. Gareth Edwards tried to do something with the last Godzilla movie, and we were not really fans of what he tried to do, which is sort of make a movie around being a Godzilla movie. So you never quite get – you never – get to see Godzilla really it's it's this weird thing that exists on the fringes and then at the end he tries to deliver a monster movie but he tried to not deconstruct it but do something different I applaud the effort I don't think it totally works no not at all and I think this movie goes the exact opposite direction which is hey I'm going to celebrate getting to make a Godzilla movie I'm not going to try to work my way around it I'm just going to lean into it a hundred percent but there are still moments and this is U.S. Hollywood Studios, there are still moments when the monsters are taking a back seat to this human drama yes. that we're supposed to be um, entertained by. And I would, I would argue that the human drama, the family thing and the Charles Dance subplot, is a lot more interesting than the Aaron Johnson stuff Agreed. In, in, the, in the other one. But it's still... Not, not very interesting. Not what I came to this. I'm not looking for a drama about these two divorced people fighting over their daughter. I'm not either, and I understand. I mean, the movie can't necessarily be wall-to-wall monsters fighting. Um, I agree. I wish the, the stuff with the human characters was better. I think this movie would be exponentially improved. If that stuff was better, but I watched a, you know, a number of Godzilla movies leading up to this and so many of them spend the first hour mm-hmm. dealing with like some race of aliens that has come down. And first of all, I think audiences used to have more patience for that. Yeah. Audiences clearly no longer have patience for that. And I remember one of my big objections to the, uh, is it the 2015 film yeah. is how long we have to wait. So... I saw in Godzilla King of the Monsters, and I don't think this is a spoiler, that um, Doherty sort of hands us a Jaws-like moment where I need a little bit of the monster, yeah. and, and then I'm fine for 45 minutes. But don't make me wait 45 yeah. minutes. Yeah. Um, I also liked that, as opposed to some of these films that sort of become light entertainment for children, like King Kong versus Godzilla, um, they established that this couple has lost... A child, which is not funny and is very serious, and because of that and other things, they've split up, which I've actually read happens quite a lot when that happens. So I appreciate the fact that they're trying to ground it in reality. Um, I think the biggest problem with the number one human subplot, and I don't think this is controversial, is I don't think Kyle Chandler works in any way. I would argue neither one of them does. Because I don't think anything they're doing or saying makes a lot of sense. But I see why Vera Familia... Farmiga. Vermiga, sorry. <laughs> um, took the part because there's some twists and turns to it that actually I found very interesting. That maybe, this is not a spoiler, you think certain things about her, and then later we find out that they those may or may not be true. But it's not just Chandler's fault. Although Chandler's performance is one note and humorless. And if he's one of the leads, that's a problem. It seems like they're delegating. You've talked about this phenomenon before. Everyone in the film is one thing. So Quips, oh, that's Brad Whitford. Brad Whitford is is president of Quips. I began to imagine an, other actors in that part because he's carrying a lot of the, the narrative on his back. And I don't think his performance works, and I, it does not engage me, and it's one note, and go with me for just a second, and maybe this is a bad example. I pictured Tom Hanks, and maybe it's just that Tom Hanks can elevate anything. Yeah. He wasn't able to elevate Larry Crown, but maybe that's <laughs> the exception that, that proves the rule. I don't care about Kyle Chandler. Sure. He seems like a one-note scold. Yeah, and sometimes that works. You think about him as the dad in Super 8, and that's effective, but that's because it's not the dad's story. It's the kid's story, and we're watching the movie through the kid's eyes, and that's how he sees his dad, and that's how he relates to his dad. And in here, it's the dad from Super 8's story. But I actually think the script 
which does very few of the human characters any favors. Um, the one thing that they could have built on is, from the very beginning, um, Chandler's character is, are you insane? You have to wipe them out. Right. And as the narrative proceeds, that becomes a very interesting thing to think about. But I had a real big problem with Kyle Chandler. My issue with the screenplay, aside from not being totally invested in that particular human subplot, is I, I think some of it has to do with Warner Brothers' decision to create a franchise or a shared universe, and we have to lay groundwork for King Kong versus Godzilla. Um, There's like five little tiny yeah get ready it's all by the way watching this movie i was wanting to revisit kong skull island me too maybe we were wrong about it i don't know i don't think we were wrong but it might be more entertaining than we originally gave it credit yeah, for maybe um everyone exists only to explain things to one another it's just scene after scene of characters standing in a room explaining mythology to one another there's a lot of dialogue where someone says something to the effect of we like to call it blah 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 it's what we call blah 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 we call it monarch these are titans this is a blah 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 and it's almost endemic to the special effects film and this is a major criticism of the film that because the film is actually about enormous monsters fighting a lot of the human action is humans watching right, something right. and talking about it. Right. And there's some moments when, for whatever reason, either A, they don't think the audience will understand, or B, they think there needs to be talkity talk. The images perfectly convey what's happening, and yet we still cut back to the command center, and it's explained to us. No story is advanced through action in this movie. Everything is just expository dialogue. Everything is explained. And some of it is we have to explain who the different monsters are. And then we have to explain which sides they're on. And then we have to explain how they got here. And then we have to explain who wants the monsters to be here and who doesn't want the monsters to be here. And then we have to explain who this corporation is that is and where all of our secret bases are. It's I actually give the film credit for taking place in so many different places around the globe. That was one thing I liked about it. But I agree with you in that the film sometimes bends over backwards for a 10-year-old who's going to be seeing the film in terms of what you're talking about, all the explanation. I'll give you an example. All the stuff about Monster Zero, who I grew up calling Ghidra, but apparently I was wrong, it's Ghidorah. Right. There's some interesting shifts in the way we regard that monster. But like you said, they're all explained at such depth. Could you cut some of that exposition and let the audience figure out for themselves what King Ghidorah is doing? Because I think in terms of images, it is explained. I think you could probably figure it out. Yeah. Hey everybody, Patrick here. The summer movie season is upon us, and that can mean only one thing. Sequels! Follow-ups to some of your favorite movies. Already this summer we've had Avengers Endgame, we've had John Wick 3, we've had Godzilla King of the Monsters. Coming up this summer we've got X-Men Dark Phoenix, we've got Fast and Furious Present Hobbs and Shaw, we've got Spider-Man Far From Home, we've got Toy Story 4... Sequels are synonymous with the summer movie season, and only one podcast is devoting its entire summer to covering sequels, and that is Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. It is their 2019 summer of sequels. You guys know Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. We've talked about it on this podcast a whole bunch of times. You remember Blake Fischera. He's come on the show to talk about his book, Scored to Death. He uh, co-hosted our epic crossover event where we did two werewolf movies, Teen Wolf and Silver Bullet. Well, of course, he's the co-host of his own podcast, Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers, where he and his friend Dion of over 20 years uh, hang out and talk about movies, the kinds of movies that we grew up loving watching at sleepovers. A lot of movies from the 80s and 90s, but they do older movies. They've, they've even branched out into doing more recent movies lately. 
Movies like Assault on Precinct 13, Star Wars, Escape from New York, Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Cliffhanger, Weekend at Bernie's, Star Trek VI, Highlander, Scream, Rear Window, you name it, they've probably devoted a podcast episode to it. And this summer they're doing exclusively sequels, some of your favorite sequels uh, to some of your favorite franchises of all time. They're kicking things off with Terminator 2, Judgment Day, arguably uh, one of the very best sequels to any movie ever uh the podcast is super fun it's got that real laid back vibe where it's just two friends hanging out talking about movies you feel like you're hanging out there with them getting to be part of the conversation if you're at all a fan of this podcast i can pretty much guarantee you're gonna love saturday night movie sleepovers because it has that same kind of vibe like I said, they're, they're kicking things off with Terminator 2. What other movies are they going to cover this summer? Well, you're going to have to tune in and find out. Check them out at SaturdayNightMovieSleepovers.com, on Facebook, on Twitter. You can find it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's the Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers 2019 Summer of Sequels. Check it out. Um, let's get into spoilers. So if you have not yet seen Godzilla King of the Monsters and don't want anything spoiled, this is your chance to turn off the podcast. But so that we can talk specifics, we're going to go ahead and start spoiling certain elements of the film. And this is why I brought up Billy Lord in Booksmart earlier. One of the things I really like about the first half of the film is that Godzilla keeps popping up and saving things. And this morning I began to think that... Godzilla in the first half of Godzilla King of the Monsters is very similar to Gigi in Booksmart. <laughs> they keep popping up, it's delightful, and then they go away for a little while. And that's good. But then again, the movie has to explain how he's able to do that, um, and it has to explain why we're jumping around the globe. And if you actually spend two seconds thinking about it, you're like, wait, how did they get from Antarctica to Boston in apparently record time. I mean, if you apply any actual... And I try not to do that. I try not to watch movies that way. There's also one moment where two very exotic locales seem to be the same. Yeah. And then we find out, oh, no, Team A is here and Team right, B is, right. is here. That They're not the same outpost. Um, yeah, they... I don't want to play the game, what do you expect, it's a big monster movie, but this film is so interested in making it real and believable that I don't think it has to spend that much time doing it. How did Godzilla get from this point to this point? Brad Whitford has a theory. How about this? He swims fast. Yeah, I don't care how Godzilla... I don't know. It doesn't bother me. My favorite scene in the movie, I think... Um comes pretty early on and it's one of those appearances of Godzilla where again there's all this explanation about how Vera Farmiga is able to talk to the monsters and communicate with them because she she figured has the, out the she has the MacGuffin box. The MacGuffin box and she creates the sound of the alpha and blah da da blah da da blah. But she mixed in a human voice. Right. So that's so a that, wrinkle. So that what? That's I don't know. Never explained. That was like a big reveal yeah, and I but, thought but so what? So now when you push the button you have to shout to I make it complete? Why is it important? I could and maybe I'm just stupid. I couldn't figure out why that was like a big Someone who saw this film the first weekend, please put in the comments why <laughs> it's such a big deal when Kyle right. Chandler at the end goes, aha, there's a human voice in there. <laughs> Very strange. Um, Godzilla is swimming towards them and they're just wait. They're watching out the window. They're underwater and they're watching out this window as he's getting closer and closer and closer. And they are worried that he's going to attack. And so everybody says, you know, be still, don't pose a threat. And it's very quiet and it's genuinely sort of suspenseful. And then he swims away, and they all sigh a, a breath of relief, and there's a pause. And then, boom, he pops up again. And I was like, ooh, a jump scare in a Godzilla movie. That was impressive. Is that the scene where they all want to do one thing, and Kyle Chandler is like, no, let's try this? That's all the scenes. In terms of the 10-year-olds watching the film, and I don't want to get on a soapbox, I really appreciated anything in a big-budget Hollywood film these days that says, wait a minute. Let's not attack first. Right. Let's just right. 
right? Because that's something we need. Um, I like the jump scare a lot, too. Um, another thing that I really liked, and I don't think this is unique to me, because I've had conversations with my wife about this. From watching Godzilla movies as a kid, a recurring nightmare is that Godzilla is coming. It's far away. But you can see it on the horizon. It's coming, and there's nothing you can do. And to an eight-year-old, this is a this is a nightmarish scenario, and maybe speaks to how all eight-year-olds feel. There's stuff up there that I can't affect, and it's going to do something, and I can't stop it. There are a half a dozen shots in this film that replicate yeah. that childhood dream. Yeah. That it's in the background, on the horizon, it's headed this way, and it's going to be bad. The movie kind of opens with that as it yeah. flashes back to the events of the last film where we see how Kyle Chandler and Vera Farmiga lost their son. And I thought that was a really effective way to open the movie, just, mm -hmm. again, taking a very small sort of microcosmic look at the human cost of the events of the first film. I thought it was really interesting. Right, because as we've noted time and time again on the podcast, a movie like... Um, uh, what was the Superman movie with uh, Michael Shannon? Man of Steel. Man of Steel. That there's these endless scenes of them batting themselves about and punching, and then you go through a building, and there's all this 9-11 imagery, and clearly buildings are falling, and I'm sitting there. There's people in there, right? And so... It's like someone, one of the screenwriters said, you know, whenever the, the monsters fight, there's going to be all of this collateral damage. And for a number of reasons, that's not explored. But I agree with you. That was so great to start with. Well, no, if this were to actually happen, it would affect everyone in, in one way or another. And some... And some people are going to lose loved ones. So I thought that was brilliant. To the credit of a movie that you have not seen, Batman versus Superman... Um, it opens the very same way with Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne sort of watching all the shit from Man of Steel happening and trying to save people. And it's one of the few things that Batman vs. Superman actually does really well, is that opening. What's the Michael Shannon one again? Man of Steel. The only thing I remember from Man of Steel were all of the big billboards for the product placements <laughs> that, um, you know, a, a hundred-story high-rise is falling but that Dunkin' Donuts billboard is impenetrable. So even while I was watching that film, because the film was not entertaining enough to engage me, I was like, why don't they build a suit for someone out of a <laughs> out Dunkin' of a Donuts, Donuts billboard and you will be impervious to all harm? Um, I know we haven't really gotten to the monsters yet. Um, I liked the conceptualization of all of the monsters. I like to see them all fighting. I will admit to experiencing CG fatigue in this movie. And, of course, and uh, this is a personal pet peeve, and it pretty much started with the Pacific Rim movies. Oh, boy, I know exactly what it is. It has to be easier or cheaper or better or more realistic to have it be night and it's raining and there's shit flying through the air because someone posted to Twitter, hey, in King Kong God in King Kong versus Godzilla, can they fight during the day? Right. Or just something that isn't obscuring what we're seeing. There are some shots in Godzilla King and the Monsters that are positively abstract. Um it's dark, it's raining, there's a monster somewhere, they're illuminated for a fraction of a right, second by right. a lightning bolt or something, and it's it's like, this is like an abstract painting <laughs> come to life. Is that Godzilla? Yeah. I guess. Um, it's just digital noise, and so I that's have a problem. digital noise fatigue. You know, they, they farm some of the special effects out to other studios, and is, this warmed my heart. Um, about six months ago, and I wrote a column about this, I was able to tour the ADI studio, Amalgamated Dynamics, which is a special effects house, run by Tom Woodruff and Alec uh, Guinness. Um, Gillis. Alec Gillis. And <laughs> he posted on Instagram today that ADI did the design on Rodan, on the new Rodan. And they were so proud of it. And they sure. thought it came out so well. Yeah, it's cool. It was nice to see Rodan. They had one of those Muto-looking things I from the one of 2015 those, yeah. movies, yeah. which, again, I'm a purist. 
maybe Ixnay on the Utume and show me Gamera for a couple seconds, but I know that's They have too the much giant spider, ask. though. Yeah. From I like uh, that. Destroy All Monsters. I keep wondering if uh, Godzilla's little son is going to show up in. Um, in What's his name version. in the movie? I know in the cartoon it's Godzuki. Right, but in the but he has a name. Oh, it's it's crazy. Ma- Manila. I think it's Manila. Yeah, it's crazy. I yeah. maybe they'll give a shout out to that. Um, another thing I really liked was, and this is something I've repeated so many times in my columns, it's becoming quite the cliche. This is a bounty of character actors that I really like. It's like Doherty was given the biggest budget he's ever been given and he hires all these people like that he's always wanted to work with so we get charles dance who i think in godzilla king of the monsters is auditioning to be a bond villain (laughs) um we have sally hawkins and it's great to see her in a little part o'shea jackson jr shows up as an army man david strathern in a part that I think he's played a hundred times yeah. on TV, just the military the general, right, right. army general, uh, Brad Whitford, who I've mentioned. Uh, after we saw the movie, I said to Patrick that I wished Richard Jenkins had been in the film as Brad Whitford's sidekick, and that they were playing the same characters <laughs> that they played in Cabin in the Woods. Joe Morton from Brother from Another Planet and and Terminator Two shows up for one scene, and yeah. it's like Joe. Where you been? It's so great that all these characters... You know what it reminded me of? In the late 60s, early 70s, there were all these World War II epics. And the one I'm thinking of is Bridge Too Far, mm-hmm. where they hired all these celebrities to basically play extended cameos just so you could have a list on the poster. Right. Oh, Robert Redford's in this, and Michael Caine, and they're in it for 12 minutes apiece. Um, that's what Godzilla reminded me of. But then I seized upon this idea. The cast is very much like the cast of a 70s disaster movie. And, of course, you could see Godzilla King of the Monsters through the lens of a disaster movie. You could, but here are two things. One, I wish these actors had been hired to do something other than just repeat exposition to one another. It's what we call... um, And two, I almost think this movie would have been better served if it had followed the disaster movie model. A little bit more by taking on a few more subplots because it's basically just the one. Yeah. We're basically with this same group of people for the entire movie, and I understand the rationale behind doing that, and I know what <laughs> Doherty's trying to do. But I, I think using the Independence Day model and following these people and these people and these people as they all react to the Godzilla stuff would have been much more interesting and might have made more sense if. You could almost do the Vera Farmiga stuff and the Kyle Chandler stuff totally separately, not have them have been a married couple, just have them be two totally different people with two totally different goals. Right. And not have to do all the weird, I got to find my daughter stuff. Um, I, I, I wish they had followed that template a little more because then I think a lot of these actors would have had things to do. And not that the film was trying to ape a 70s disaster film, but... If they were, they felt that the different locations right. was enough to do right. that, right. even though, as you said, that's not what it's doing because it's basically one group of people. It occurred to me, Charles Dance uh, sort of plays this evil industrialist, or we might even say he was, he's an evil anti-capitalist industrialist. He's described as an eco-terrorist. And he wants to exploit the monsters for profit the assumption is he's going to extract things to sell to the medical industry and he's going to wreak havoc so we start again his motivation is very obscure it seems like he's trying to do two separate things both of which are at odds with each other he's trying to profit from the monsters and he's trying to cause worldwide havoc and start again as i watched the film i thought charles dance was um a metaphor for Warner Brothers, which, too, is trying to exploit the <laughs> monsters for profit any way they can. I was so proud of that insight that we have. I love it when a film critiques itself. Well, it's interesting because as of this recording, the movie opened to less than 50 million, which is a big disappointment because that's down from 
the last Godzilla, I think pretty substantially. Um, now, I wonder how it did compared to Kong Skull Island. Godzilla uh, down, I think. I'm not real sure. But Godzilla vs. King Kong is already in the can and scheduled to release in March of 2020. Which um, which amazed me when I heard yeah. that, that was the case. Yeah. Um, obviously, that's a done deal. If it wasn't, I wonder if we would for sure be getting a Godzilla vs. King Kong. And that's a shame, but because like family members, I rag on these films, but it's because I can, because I have a great love of them, and I want them to make more of them, obviously. I don't know. Well, so there's a post credit scene that establishes that Ghidorah is still alive, or part of Ghidorah is still alive. Which I thought so. was reasonably clever, because once they establish that, big spoiler... He's from outer space. He can regenerate a head. Clearly, it's not that big of a reach that with this head that they discover. They can regenerate. And you know the only reason they're doing it is so that we can get half of a movie where Kong and Godzilla fight and then half of a movie where they team up against a common enemy. And I'm already just stealing myself for how the movie has to bend over backwards to explain, well, why are they fighting? Well, now why are they teaming up? And it just – this movie, you know, goes to so many lengths to try to justify everything that's happening in a way that feels grounded. And sometimes I feel like it's stepping on its own toes in order to do that. Or stepping on its own tail. Hey, now. Thank you, Godzilla. You had shared that with me after the screening. Um, I get out of the IMAX screening – and I'm walking lonely and dejected to my car, and suddenly behind me I hear, JB! And then I turn around, and there's four <laughs> of my favorite people in the world. And uh, you had seen it exactly as I was seeing it, but in a different screen. And your daughter has a talent that I cannot comprehend. Godzilla King of the Monsters is one of the loudest films I've ever well, you attended. You saw it in IMAX, so yeah, for sure. But still, even in your sure, screen, it's just constant roaring and explosions. It was and, loud, yeah. and your daughter managed to fall asleep. She sure did. Way to go. She was the one who wanted to see it, and yet she went to sleep. As I shared with you after the screening, uh, the 2015 Godzilla did have one shot that we loved. The entire world loved it. It was the greatest thing ever, and you dubbed it the Atomic Kiss. No, that was not me. Oh, really? Yeah, that was official or something. I don't know where that came from. That was not mine. And I think all of you listening know the shot that I'm talking about, and it seems to me that Doherty took it as a personal matter of pride <laughs> that if I can't, and it's hard, if I can't top it, I'm going to at least go for it because there's a shot where Kong's atomic breath becomes a spotlight beacon which I don't have to spoil, it's the poster. Right. The marketing people seized right. upon that. But, and here's, I don't know if I want to spoil it because it's so cool I want people to experience well, again, it. we're in spoilers. Um, much like other films, like Jake Speed, when we think the bad guy is vanquished and we discover the bad guy is not vanquished because we're all familiar with that trope of the bad guy keeps coming back and you can't kill him, you can't kill him, you can't kill him. We think Godzilla has pretty much laid waste to King Ghidorah if for a number. I mean, we see just this utter devastation. And there's this delightful shot. It's so brilliantly composed and staged. There's all this... Um, there's all this destruction and all of this destruction smoke, and it's a smoky, smoky atmosphere. And out of the smoke comes one of the uh, Ghidorah heads. And you're like, what the fuck? It's still alive? But as the shot goes on and the, the head comes toward us, it's a dismembered head <laughs> in Godzilla's jaws. And I almost leapt up in the theater yeah, and great. applauded that yeah. because that's the greatest single shot I've seen this year. <laughs> this it, Was it a storyboard artist or this, this pre-viz people at the third floor or 13th floor? Is it in the script stage? Whoever, whoever dreamed that up, give them a raise. How well do you remember Krampus? Does anyone in Krampus say you got to be fucking kidding me? Because I'm starting to wonder if it's if it's if it's his see you next Wednesday. In Trick or Treat, it's an obvious reference to the thing, but then it happens again 
in Godzilla King of the Monsters, and now I want to go back in Krampus and see if he's worked it into every one of his movies. I wonder. Uh, a long time ago, Patrick and I attended a screening of Trick or Treat at the um, Portage yeah. Theater. And Michael Doherty was there yeah. in person to introduce the film and do a Q&A, and we talked to him briefly out in the lobby, and he's just delightful. Yeah, he's a fan, just, you know? Yeah. And so, and that's really nice. Um, there's uh, two characters in this movie make sacrifices, and one works, and I would argue one doesn't. Ken Watanabe makes, he sacrifices his own life to detonate a nuclear device that will help recharge Godzilla, basically. And that goes right back to the original film. His character even has the same name right. as the the scientist who sacrifices himself. Um, but then later in the film, Vera Farmiga sacrifices herself, and I would argue that doesn't work. A, dramatically, because we've already seen a character do that, and so it doesn't mean as much, I hate to say it, but it doesn't mean as much when a second character does the same thing. And but I gave the film so much credit, this is the switch that I talked about 45 minutes ago, that we think one thing about Vera Farmiga, and then as the film goes along... Oh, no. She might be doing it for what she thinks are the right reasons, but she's fucking nuts. She couldn't be more wrong. And why the film thought we needed some sort of redemption for her at the end? Right. She's on the wrong side. We can't understand that? Right. I don't need her to be redeemed. Yeah. I really like the, I really liked the moment when we found out, oh, no. She, no. She's, no. I don't think her sacrifice works. And like you said, it's a double climax. Right. The want, And even the way it's filmed comes across as an afterthought when you consider how well-paced and edited and scored the Watanabe sacrifice is. I right. mean, it's really right. quite beautiful. Right. And, and the movie lets you feel it. There's two moments in the film where someone reaches out to touch Godzilla. And that's one of them. And I found that... Um, someone suggested this weekend that Watanabe is so good in this, he deserves a better film. And we never doubt his uh, crazy passion for this and his how much it means to him. But I think one of the better quiet moments is when he reaches out yeah. and he actually gets that moment. I appreciate that the movie allows for those kinds of quiet moments. Um, Sally Hawkins leaves this movie in about as unceremonious a fashion as anything I've seen since The Predator because a character dies and you're like, wait, what? Did that just happen? Cause no, and that... You can't even tell because, again, it's so busy And sitting and in the dark. theater, I was like, did she give them two weeks and the two weeks right. was up and they didn't... It's real. It really comes across as offhand. Yeah. And we like her character to the extent that we get to see her. She's She's a very small part. I was sure that O'Shea Jackson Jr. was killed off because I thought he was part of the military guys who all get it. Yeah. And then he's not in the movie for a little while. And I was like, oh, that's too bad. We liked him. and uh, But no, he does still show up later in the film. So I don't know geographically where a lot of people are when some of this stuff is happening. And what you had said before, what the film is clearly trying to do geographically, it could have done narratively by splitting people up more and then you have to juggle all these different storylines but if the film had been better at that the phenomenon that you talked about i i don't know where this character is right i i wonder might have been taken care of if the jumping around was narrative rather than geographical right also at the end of the film we're told that they are evacuating everyone to fenway and then Fenway is revealed to be completely empty. Well, here's that I do know. Okay. They were telling people to go to Fenway. Right. Because if you live in Boston, everyone <laughs> knows where Fenway is. Christ. Not going to fucking Fenway, kid. <laughs> I want to get a fucking look at this King Ghidorah. Get him a fucking Duncan's. Do you know what pogging is like <laughs> around the Fenway? You fucking kidding me? They were telling people to go to Fenway. 
because they were evacuating people on those big head uh, helicopters from Fenway. Okay. That was the disembarkation okay. point. Okay, because by the time Millie Bobby Brown is at Fenway, yeah. it's empty. Yeah. I was like, well, where did all the Bostonians go? Well, it's that point in the season where they have no chance <laughs> to, to get the pennant, so attendance goes down quite a bit. Do you think this summer they're going to have Godzilla Day at Fenway Park? That would be it's, it's a no-brainer. Sweet. Um, anything else you want to say about Godzilla King of the Monsters? Again, it's not a perfect movie, but films I hold close to my heart, like the original Godzilla King of the Monsters and King Kong vs. Godzilla, which I actually like and can watch on any day, are not perfect either. So maybe we were too... Uh, mean or strict or cruel to Godzilla 2015. But you'll agree Godzilla King of the Monsters is head and shoulders a better movie than that. I definitely enjoyed it more than that. And it's it's a rare movie anymore even with the A-list that I would go back to see in a theater. Okay. But I'm going to go back and see this in a theater. Yeah. In and, IMAX again? And Yeah, and hopefully. Is it playing in the Dolby? You should go in Dolby just to feel your seat shake. No, because what I discovered is was... Aladdin still in Dolby? No, this yeah. made me excited because I am going to see uh, Rocket Man. Oh, yeah, that's Rocket worth it. Rocket Man's yeah. in Dolby because of the music. That's worth it. Um, I'm I'm excited about King Kong versus Godzilla. Again, I have not yet loved... <laughs> I didn't love Godzilla 2014 or 2015. I didn't love Kong Skull Island. I didn't love this movie. Right, and yet notice, I'm still we've, excited. We've gone an appreciable time today and never brought up the Matthew Broderick version. What would be the point? What would be the point? Oh, my God. <laughs> anyway, thank you guys very much for listening. Uh, happy Junesploitation. And uh, thanks, JB. Keep watching exploitation films and keep writing about them because I'm really enjoying what you're writing. And, of course, you're doing all of this for me. Thanks for listening to FS Movie.